Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Just making sure that everything is working on my side here. It looks good. Uh, I'm recording this uh, as I won't be available live, but uh, hopefully everybody will be able to get what we intend out of the message this evening. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into Isaiah 3 uh, and 4. Hopefully, God willing, we'll cover both uh, chapters 3 and 4 this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your holy, most majestic, most merciful throne, and we're just so grateful to you, Almighty God, that we have this incredible, distinct privilege of studying these ancient scriptures, scriptures that were written thousands of years ago uh, by men whom you inspired with the Holy Spirit uh, to warn your people, to direct your people back to their covenant commitments and to foretell uh, what would befall the covenant community in the latter times. We just thank you, God, that from these scriptures we can be informed, we can gain wisdom, and we can order our steps to conform with Jesus Christ. We thank you, Almighty God, and we pray in his name. Amen. So last week, brethren, we were in um, chapter 2. And what I want to do is just pick up a couple of verses from chapter 2 and then uh, get into chapters 3 and 4 for this evening. So just a couple of verses from, from chapter 2. And you remember the, the focus was this whole notion of uh, pride and, and identifying pride as the root cause of the covenant community's issues and sinfulness and abominations which was also the root cause of Sodom and Gomorrah's sinfulness and abomination, which is also the root cause of Satan's sinfulness and abomination. And, and, and Babylon and the Tower of Babel, and we see the pride there. Uh, so we see this, and this is uh, really timely, as we're approaching the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, particularly, that we want to root out these leavening agents, because we know this comes from Satan. And we want to replace it with the sincerity of unleavened bread, which comes from Christ. So here we see in chapter 2 and verse 17, And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low. This is the solution. And, and when, when Christ acts, when Christ appears to make right the earth, this is what's going to be addressed. And it's going to be addressed within the covenant community first, and then the rest of the world. And Yehovah alone shall be exalted in that day. He's the only one that will be exalted. The whole world will understand who their creator is and will honor him uh, appropriately. Worthy is the lamb. And the idols he shall utterly abolish. So all of the nonsense that we're living through now with all kinds of uh, false gods and uh, idols being held up in high esteem, this is coming to an end. And then dropping down to verse 22, the chapter concluded with, <clears throat> Cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils, as opposed to Yehovah, who is the ever-living, that, that he is just the self-existent one, he's ever-living, he's the eternal. Uh, cease you from man and turn to Yehovah 
cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils. See, he can't keep himself alive. For wherein is he to be accounted of? I mean, he's nothing. So all these powerful, mighty men that really think they're something, what does the psalmist say? They're like the blade of grass. They're like a flower. They, they sprout up, they have their moment, and then it's over. Now we come to chapter 3. And remember in chapter 1, it opened that this is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And in chapter 2, it opened saying, this is the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So we must never forget that. Isaiah is making it very, very clear to us uh, what the subject matter is. And the subject matter is the covenant community, more specifically, Judah, and in particular, Jerusalem. So let's keep that in mind now as we read chapter 3. <clears throat> For behold, Adonai, the Lord, Jehovah of hosts, Jehovah of armies. This, this is a frightening term. You don't, you, don't, you don't want to go up against Jehovah of the armies. <clears throat> he does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah. So chapter 1 told us this is about Jerusalem and Judah. Chapter 2 told us this is about Jerusalem and Judah. And now we're seeing in chapter 3, this is concerning Jerusalem and Judah. He does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff. Uh, these are Hebrew words that really mean the, the supply, the support, the, the, that which underpins any nation's greatness. He's going to take away the whole stay of bread, the bread of life, what keeps them alive, and the whole stay of water. So this, this is a serious plague. Uh, this, this is uh, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts is doing this. So in addition to taking away the, the supply chain, the, 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 the underpinning of their greatness, the food supply, <clears throat> he's also going to take away, excuse me, the mighty man and the man of war. So again, as a nation becomes great, it's going to have a great supply chain, great economy. It's going to have great men, valiant men who, who have built up the nation. And God says of Judah and Jerusalem, he's going to take away the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. So we know that uh, this is speaking of Judah and Jerusalem, but it certainly wouldn't be wrong for us to Think in terms of our Western nations and what has happened to us and, and the, the distinguished leaders, you know, the strong men who, who withstood tyranny and fought for freedom. All these men are taken away. And this is part of the curse. So certainly this is focused on Judah and Jerusalem, but we can look at the nations of Israel and see the blessings with which they have been blessed, and those blessings being taken away. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. So all of this uh, you know, cause and effect world, these would be the causes of their greatness because of these men 
and because of the strong economy. And God is saying now to Judah and Jerusalem, having seen what happened to the northern tribes, now the focus is on the south, and Babylon is rising. And God is going to use Babylon to do all of this. But Christ said that he came to fulfill the, the prophecies to the full, that nothing will be taken away. These tend to come in terms of uh, uh, patterns. There's the antitype and then the type and the first fulfillment. This is going to be fulfilled fully as a result of Christ's coming and his declaration in Matthew 23, the tail end of Matthew 23 and Matthew 24, the abomination that makes desolate is going to do all of this in a way that has never been done before. But this is setting up to the initial fulfillment, which is the Babylonian captivity. So all of these are going to be taken away and they're going to be replaced with, God says, and I will give children to be their princes or children to be their leaders and babes shall rule over them. And the implication of the Hebrew here is uh, spoiled brats, spoiled brats, immature, who have no sense of boundaries, uh, who just always want their way and will throw a tantrum if they don't get their way. Uh, this is who will be leading the nation. And the people shall be oppressed. Beautiful rhetoric, notwithstanding. And we should not fall for beautiful rhetoric. But here it is. The people shall be oppressed. Everyone by another. This is speaking within the covenant community. This is not that the Babylonians are going to do this. this is, they're doing this to each other. And as a result of weakening themselves, they're going to be minced meat before the, the Gentile powers. And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone, notice, by his neighbor. The, 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 the covenant people are doing this to themselves. The child in the covenant community shall be save, behave himself proudly against the ancient in the covenant community. So the standards have been warped. Uh, there's no longer any respect for the ancient. Uh, Isaiah will later say, woe unto those who call the good evil and the evil good. This is where the, the nation is heading. And the base against the honorable. So something's going to happen where those who are base and have no uh, qualities or standards or or uh, prerequisites for these roles are going to be put in these roles. And they're going to become very uh, arrogant and, and inflated and uh, self-absorbed. When a man, verse 6, shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, be you our ruler. So this is the time when the leadership is completely decimated. Uh, the nation is now in turmoil, and they need they realize they need leaders. And now they're saying, hey, you've got at least you've got clothing. You know, you, you can make a public appearance. Look at us. We're naked, you know, or we've we're totally our clothes are totally tattered. We got nothing, but at least you can make an appearance. So you have clothing, you be our ruler. And let this ruin be under your hand. So somebody has to take responsibility. Somebody needs to lead here. Uh, why don't you do it? In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be a healer. I'm not going to try to put things back together. For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. So I've got the shirt on my back, and, and that's basically it. 
I'm not qualified to take on this disaster and try. I, I, I can barely put my own house together, never mind trying to rebuild the nation. Make me not a ruler of the people, for Jerusalem is ruined. This, and this is a prophecy that they had never contemplated this eventuality. They could have never foreseen this coming. But the prophet is telling them, this is what's going to happen. And, and, and sometimes when we're in a, a robust economy, we just think it's going to go on forever and ever, and we just take it all for granted. And, and, and certainly globally, right now, all the Western nations, I, I believe, uh, depend upon the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar. And it's not looking good. And, and here, these prophecies that we're reading about Jerusalem uh, in the 6th century BC, uh, I think that's how you would say it, uh, this is sort of the first fulfillment of this prophecy, but the prophecy remains outstanding for the abomination that truly makes desolate, which Christ came and said is coming. So, so this is all going to happen again, but this time at a level of intensity the world has never seen, that no nation will ever suffer the way this nation is going to suffer. But for these prophecies to be fulfilled, America must fall. That Ju Judah is the only democracy. We call it the nation of Israel today. This is the only democracy in the Middle East. And it is surrounded by nations that hate her. And America supports Judah. That there's been this long-standing relationship between the, the, the might and military prowess of America and the nation that we call Israel today or the tribe of Judah. But as a result of the change in administration, there's been a change in sentiment toward Judah. And the current administration is turning their back on Judah, the nation we call Israel, and turning toward the Palestinians and the Iranians, and willing to support them in their claims to this land. And, and as they withdraw their, as, as the current administration with, withdraws its support for Judah and for Jerusalem, devastating consequences await. And it's going to get to the point where when the American economy collapses, she can do nothing for Israel anyway. So, so this, this future is coming. It's boiling up. And, and now, you know, we had four years where we were withdrawing troops unnecessarily from unnecessary wars current administration war is a money-making machine and people get rich with war and so now we're back in the middle east getting caught up in this again and so the middle east we have to watch it christ tells us to watch to watch jerusalem watch the middle east so all of this it, it, for, for jerusalem to be ruined america must turn her back on jerusalem and, and be incapable of helping Jerusalem. And then the Gentile nations will have their way with her. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen. Now, why did this happen? Because their tongue and their doings are against Yehovah to provoke the eyes of his glory. Interesting phrase, and it kind of brings to mind uh, Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter against the Lord. He defied God. And, and here, Judah and Jerusalem are no better. 
Isaiah opens up in chapter one saying, God saying of all the tribes of Israel, he has raised children and they have rebelled against him. And that's what we see here. These, these people have rebelled against him and they provoke the eyes of his glory, his glorious eyes. The show of their countenance or their faces, it witnesses against them. Just look at them. Look at the arrogance. This witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. They, they have no shame. They are just full of this pride and all kinds of abomination and murder. And they don't even try to hide it. And again, you, you, you think we're reading here of the, the Western democracies. America, Canada, Australia, Britain. This is, this is perfect description of our democracies. But we must remember, it's kind of easy to jump in, pick up a couple of verses and just apply them to our democracies. But if we read carefully what the prophet is telling us, he's telling us that this is the vision that he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So we can take the principles here, certainly, and apply them to our uh, democracies, our nations. But the vision is very specific. It's, it's about the land in the Middle East and the people that are occupying that land, Judah and Jerusalem. He says, they don't even hide it. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. They, they have brought this to themselves. And again, it sounds like we're talking about our own nations. We're foolish. We are, we are bringing upon ourselves oh, incredible evil. We, we, we are bringing upon ourselves a crashed economy. We, we want this. We want to just sit back and collect universal basic income. Sit back and just collect and just keep printing money. And, and there's nobody, nobody wants to work. We just want to collect a, pay, uh, collect a universal basic income. No, this, this won't work. And then we want to put people in power that support transgenderism, which according to the Bible is an abomination. But this is the thing. Now, you can't speak against this. And to destroy the family. And we, we are supporting all these movements that openly, they don't even try to hide it. Openly, they want to destroy the family. And then we have Christians supporting it. It's, it's unbelievable. But it's not, this is speaking specifically about Judah and Jerusalem, although we can clearly apply these principles to our nations. But he says here, woe unto their soul. That's a curse. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil, catastrophe unto themselves. This is what they've brought upon themselves. Say you to the righteous, however, Isaiah, say you to the righteous, that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. And I think this verse, again, this is speaking specifically of Judah and Jerusalem. We can apply the principle that this is going to have global global. Uh, consequences, global ramifications. And we, the righteous, those who truly seek to follow God, we can get caught up in all of this. And, and as the nation goes down, we will suffer as well. And then Isaiah's, God's message through Isaiah is, it shall be well with us. Don't worry. As much as this catastrophe is, is targeted, it is going to sweep up many, many nations and peoples with it. But the message is, all will be well. 
all will be well for the righteous. And just think of Revelation, Revelation 6.10. The martyrs cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? When will you act? Well, he will act. But in the meantime, white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Tell you the, tell, speak you unto the righteous and tell them it shall be well with them. Even though we may be martyred in the process, God takes the big picture, the long view. And so this life is not everything. And we need to be faithful to the end. And so no matter what happens in this life, the message from Isaiah is all will be well. All will be well. In Revelation 7 and verse 3, concerning Judah specifically, Revelation 7 and verse 3, uh, before this seal is unleashed, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. And then the other tribes were sealed as well. But notice, there is a remnant in Judah. And God reserves for himself a remnant in all the tribes. And that sealing may involve martyrdom. But there is, there, there is going to be a sealed number within the tribe of Judah. So Isaiah's message is, it'll be well, even if it means martyrdom. And here in Revelation 20, we see the ultimate uh, re re reward and outcome of those who were martyred. John says in verse 4, he saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And tell them, it will be well with them. It'll be well. It may not seem to be well. Satan's servants may think they have the upper hand, but that's not the whole story. They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. So there's going to be such hostility to the witness of Jesus and the word of God. And we must be very, very stable, established, and not get caught up with the, the movement of the day that ultimately is going to turn us against Yeshua. And which had not worshipped the beast. And, and that means ultimately we'll be seduced into worshipping the beast. But these faithful had not worshipped the beast, neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Say you to the righteous, it will be well with them, regardless of what's happening on the earth. Isaiah continues, so it's going to be well for the righteous. This is going to be a, a catastrophe that's going to come upon the nation, but tell those who repent, it'll be fine. Those who don't, however, there's a different message. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. It's not going to go well. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. So those who do not repent within Judah and Jerusalem, they're going to get the full brunt of this. He says, as for my people, children are their oppressors. And again, it's easy for us to apply this to our nations, but he's the, the vision specifically concerns Judah and Jerusalem. He says, as for my people, 
children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your path. So the mighty man, the man of valor, the eloquent orator, uh, the captain of 50, all these powerful leaders, God takes them away. And they're replaced now with children, women and children. And the children are such that they're, they're tyrannical. They get drunk on power, but they're not really qualified for the role. But they are, they are oppressing their people, and women are ruling over them. And you get these judgments that really don't make sense and are born of weakness and not of strength. So they cause us to err, cause the covenant people to err, and they destroy the way of your paths. Beautiful rhetoric, notwithstanding. They destroy the way of your path. Jehovah stands up to plead, oh boy, oh boy. Imagine his own people are behaving in such a way that it excites the Lord to stand up. And he has a controversy now. That is alarming. Jehovah stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. In Isaiah 33 and verse 10, he says, this is the Lord that's been hidden. He says he hides from Jacob. And now in 33 verse 10, he says, now will I rise, says Jehovah. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Meaning, up until now, up until this moment, he hasn't been exalted. Up until this moment, he's been hidden. And people have been crafting up their own narratives and serving them and deceiving with their own narratives and exalting idols and exalting themselves. And God now has had enough. And now he's going to put the earth right. In verse 14 of the same chapter, he says, the sinners in Zion are afraid. These are the ones that were arrogant. These were the ones that were puffing themselves up. These were the ones that were oppressing others. And now when God arises, now we see the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? So this is the future. Now, he says here, Yehovah will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof. So he's going to challenge them. They've challenged him. He's going to challenge them. For you have eaten up the vineyard. And we're going to learn more about this vineyard in chapter 5, I believe it is. You've eaten up my vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. And then listen to this. What, do, what mean you that you beat my people to pieces? What, what, why are you doing this? This is within the covenant community. The leaders are such oppressors that God characterizes it as you beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. And when I read this verse, it immediately brought to mind uh, something that the secular prophet, I call him the secular prophet. This is George Orwell, author of Animal Farm in 1984. And, and he was really trying to warn what the future looked like. 
And when I read this verse, what do, what do you mean that you beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor? And this secular prophet, what he said was this. He said, if you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Wow. <laughs> wow. If you want a vision of the future. So, so you want to know what the future looks like, he said. Try to imagine this. A boot stamping on a human face forever. This was written, I think, he, in the 1940s. He had vision. He understood. He understood where the world was going. We don't understand. We have no idea. We support causes that are going to bring this about. And we don't understand the condition called human nature and pride. And this is, this, this is happening. If this, if this can happen within Judah, the people who have the covenant, the everlasting covenant with God, if this can happen within Judah, what hope does the rest of Israel have or the rest of the world, the Gentile world have? If you want a vision of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Now imagine a Jewish boot stamping on a Jewish face forever. Unless, and then I guess this is where we would take exception to George Orwell. Yeah, you're right to a point. But because you don't understand Yehovah of the armies, that he is coming to put an end to all of this, then we can remove the forever. We can say, you know, for a long time and intensely for a three and a half year period, but then it's over. Thank God. I mean, what? I don't know how this man could really face the day if he had no hope for humanity. We have a great hope for humanity, and it's in the scriptures. And so he says, Why do you beat my people to pieces? and grind the faces of the poor. So the rich just keep getting richer, and the poor keep getting poorer. This is the human condition. Says Adonai Yehovah of hosts of the armies. Moreover, Yehovah says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, they're, they're, they're haughty, he says this is, this is a condition uh, that these women have. So. These women, again, if we're going back into this ancient economy, they are haughty because of their men. That their men are rich, their men have done well. And that has put them in a position of authority and influence. And now they're taking advantage of that position of authority and influence. He says, moreover, says, says Jehovah. So all of this is going to happen now. Moreover. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. So you can just imagine the uh, nature of the jewelry and the way that certain wealthy women could adorn themselves and separate themselves from the poor and attract attention. Hey, everybody. Look at me. And again, it sounds like we're talking about our modern nations. Uh, but this, again, is a vision concerning 
Judah, and Jerusalem, and specifically, these are the daughters of Zion, the daughters of Zion that it's speaking of. Although clearly, this curse of human nature, uh, it affects us as well. We can certainly see it in our world. So he says here that they're walking and mincing as they go, and so there's some sort of adornment uh, upon their feet. They walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. They're just as alluring as they can be. Walking and mincing as they go, they really want to attract attention and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, Adonai will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and Yehovah will discover their secret parts. So there's going to be a turn, a change of fortune. In that day, Adonai will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, so some sort of crescent uh, jewelry, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers. So all of these we'd have to understand how the ancient women were dressed, but we get the sense. The bonnets and the ornaments of the legs, so there's lots of things, lots of fashion statements. Uh, today we have our things that you can look at somebody and see they're really well-to-do uh, because of these things that separate them, uh, these symbols that separate them from the poor. Well, they seem to have, have had it in droves. Human nature doesn't change. The bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel. So they're very, very wealthy. The economy was doing really well here, really, really well. And they could not foresee what was coming. And, and as I said, I keep saying, we have been taking our economy for granted for decades. And, you know, what's the answer? Or the economy, we're going to shut down the economy. Um, we're going to completely shut it down. And then what's the answer? Now that we see the, the, the consequences of, of this rash decision, what's the answer? Not open the economy and let people get back to work and let them use their judgment and the scripture says, if you're sick, you quarantine yourself. You don't quarantine the healthy. You quarantine the sick. No, we must quarantine the healthy and lock everybody up uh, against the disease that has shown as a 99.9% .9 recovery rate if you're under 70 and in reasonable health. So if you're reasonable, yeah, go to work. Anybody else, stay home. You're feeling ill, stay home. But we don't understand what it means to crash the economy. And so everybody has to stay home now would just completely uh, destroy the economy. And then what's the answer? Oh, just print more money. Give, give people more money. And then they can go out and spend it. We're not really creating any value. And I think that's why we, uh, the previous administration, a, a businessman who understood the economy. And that's, it's like if I hire a salesperson, I don't have to go through every detail of your, of your life. You're hired to do a job. And if you can do that job, great. As long as you're doing it ethically. But there was such outrage over every aspect of the previous president. And God wants a fair balance, a fair, fair you know, balanced scale. So with whatever measures we were judging the previous president with and whatever standard of scrutiny we held him up to, then I think God would expect that we do the same with the current president. It can't be that he can do whatever he wants and nobody holds him to account when there was such scrutiny of the previous administration. But now we're going to see. What does it mean when we just keep trying to crush the virus? 
There's no such thing as crushing a virus. You can crush an economy and you can crush people when you crush the economy. You can crush small business. And these small businesses will probably never come back. You're, you're, you're not essential. And if these small businesses don't come back, that's how you, that's how, you know, when you go into a recession, jobs are created primarily by small business. But if you've completely eliminated the ability for the entrepreneur to get a small business off the ground, well, then you've, what you've done is you've eliminated the ability for the economy to recover when it crashes. And then you will completely wipe out the middle class. And so, brethren, we need to get ready for this. This is going to be ugly. It's going to be epic. So we need to get ready, get our house in order, but get our heads in order. To say you to the righteous, it shall be well with them. So whatever happens, let us be established in the truth of God, in the word of God, and in the vision that God gives us. So I, I like George Orwell's perception and foresight, but I disagree with the word forever. It's not forever. Christ is coming to put an end to all of this, and we, we are waiting and looking forward to his appearing. So we can withstand, we can, we can face whatever, because we know he's coming for us. So this is going to be ugly. And be ready. And all those people are out there, social justice, and trying to make this world a better place. I really fear for you. And I pray that you'll get into the word of God and understand that this world is not going to be better because of this pride in human nature. And this desire, this ugly desire that Satan puts in humans to oppress others. Only Christ can put this to an end. And so we look forward to that. So if we were trying to look forward to a better world, it's not coming until Christ comes. So all of this abundance, they had a phenomenal economy and they had changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins. I was looking, trying to understand what this is. These just seem to be um, uh, clothing and, and, and uh, luxury purses, things like that. The glasses and the fine linen. When I was in the Middle East, you would see these women with their um, black um, hijab and, and uh, the whole covering. And, but the purses and the shoes, you could see how wealthy they were. And, and sometimes some of the, the, the coverings, they, they were embroidered in such a way that you could see, okay, these people have money. But certainly by their handbags, that's how you knew. And so it's just every culture has a way of demonstrating their affluence so that everybody knows how affluent they are. The glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. They had no idea this was coming, just as we have no idea what's coming. But there's going to be a replacement. This economy where we take everything for granted, it doesn't go on forever, especially if, you, if the root cause of abundance is not there. And the root cause of Jerusalem's abundance, when you go back to King David, it was his obedience to God, and it was the Torah. But they've abandoned all of that. And they should have known, okay, of course, if we look into the covenant, of course, curses are coming, but they couldn't see it. And when we look at our society and how it's abandoned, all moral standards, of course, curses are coming, of course. 
And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. So it's going to be torn clothing. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. They could not see this coming. They were just living in abundance and thought it would go on and on. And instead of a stomacher of girding of sackcloth, so these beautiful clothes are going to be replaced with mourning, uh, mourning garments, and burning instead of beauty. This is scary. And they had no idea what was coming. Your men shall fall by the sword. And, the, and you're mighty in the war. So he's going to take away the mighty men. It looks like through this military conquest, they're going to lose. Whenever there's war, men are lost. There's an imbalance. Typically, it's the men that go to war and they get wiped out. And her gates shall lament and mourn. And she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. And there's a whole purpose to this, brethren. This is... God is not just acting emotionally um, in a completely erratic way. He's acting according to the covenant. He didn't want this to come upon his people. These are his covenant people. But he put conditions in the covenant to say, if you break the covenant, this is how it's going to break you. But you can never leave this covenant. This is a forever covenant. So all of these curse clauses are going to be activated to drive you back to the covenant. And that's, that's the work of the prophets. When we think prophets, we think foretelling the future, but that really wasn't their work. Their work was driving the nation, the leaders of the nation, and the people of the nation back to the covenant. And that often involved foretelling the future. To say, if you don't turn back to the covenant, this is what's going to happen. If you do turn to the covenant, this is what will happen. I think when we think of prophets, we need to think of that function of the prophet is to turn the people back to the covenant and to warn them about their unfaithfulness to the covenant. So here we see this desolation. And we're going to, as we go through the uh, prophet's scroll, we're going to see that this is ultimately what Daniel saw, the abomination that makes Jerusalem desolate. This is going to be like the final time, and it's going to be so intense, but it will never happen again. But here, she is going to be desolate. And she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. So she was so haughty, had so much abundance, thought, thought that this would go on forever, but no, curses were waiting in the wings. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own bread, and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So again, when the nation goes to war, has to defend itself, the men have to go, and they just get wiped out. And now the ratio, hopefully you have, you know, every man there's a woman, and that's the balanced society, but now there's seven women to every man. And these women now cannot be married, uh, they cannot have children, they cannot have a family, and in this culture, uh, if you were barren, if you couldn't have children, if you were not married, that meant that you're not really blessed by God, and you're not um, you, you don't have a you don't have a standing in the community or in the eternal uh, name of the community. So it really mattered to these women that they would be married, 
that they would have uh, children. And now all the men are gone. And so they are just full of shame. Now they have, and, and in fact, the women earlier, when we saw all that abundance and the jewelry and the, the, uh, the haughtiness, it was really because of their, they married well. The men were doing well. Now all of that is gone, or the men are gone, and they're saying to whoever's left, we'll, we'll look at, you don't have to look after us. We'll look after ourselves. Just, just let us be called by your name. In that day, so we just keep hearing, in that day, in that day, and ultimately this is the pointing to the future, our future. In that day shall the branch of Yehovah be beautiful and glorious. That is amazing. Shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So constantly the prophets see this, that there's going to be so much devastation, there's going to be so much catastrophe, but then there's going to be a turning, and there's going to be beauty, and there's going to be glory, and Israel shall be exalted with the Lord in that day. And so now in the midst of all of this desolation, Isaiah sees something beautiful. In that day shall the branch of Jehovah be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth, the fruit of the earth, he says, shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So there will be escapees. There will be survivors to all of this. As much as uh, Satan is going to stir up these nations with a desire to completely wipe out the covenant community, God won't allow that to happen. That would make God a liar. So there will be a, a remnant, and there will be those that escape. And this just takes us right back to Moses. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come, come upon you, Deuteronomy 30, kind of my go-to scripture, that describes all the prophecies. All the prophecies are rooted right here. It shall come to pass, says Moses, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse. Yeah, you'll do well for a while, but the cur you, you won't be faithful. You won't remain faithful. So then you're going to activate the curse clauses. So both of these will come upon you, which I've said before you. And you shall call them to mind among the nations, all the nations, where Jehovah, your God, has driven you. So ultimately, the, the unfaithfulness comes after the blessings. So it's not that you end with the blessing. You, you are blessed, but then you defect. And then you're cursed. And then you're scattered according to the covenant clauses. And then he says, this will, it'll come to mind what's happened, what has befallen you. You'll want to answer why, and somebody will be there to tell you why. And then when you come to your senses, you shall return unto Jehovah, your God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. You will actually return to the covenant. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. So this hasn't happened yet, but this is the purpose of all of this devastation, all of this catastrophe, this desolation. It's not without purpose. It's designed to create this response. That then, Jehovah, your God, will end your captivity and have compassion upon you. And will return and gather you from all the nations where Jehovah your God has scattered you. 
if any of yours be driven out to the outmost parts of heaven. You know what? God is faithful to the covenant. From there, Yehovah, your God, will gather you. And from there will he fetch you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten the covenant. And Yehovah, your God, will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. That's why Isaiah's prophecy is very specific. It's concerning Judah and Jerusalem because it concerns the land. And it's how this covenant agreement ultimately gets fulfilled. And if we are too quick to abandon the fact that the prophecy is about Judah and Jerusalem, then we miss all of this. And we don't understand how these prophecies ultimately get fulfilled. So Isaiah was very, very clear. This was a vision that he, he received concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So they're going to be brought back into the land which their fathers possessed. This is very specific real estate. And you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above your father. So this has not been fulfilled yet. We're looking for a time when the descendants of Jacob are in the promised land and they're serving God with all of their heart and all of their soul, them and their children. And it comes after the devastation. That they, they, they are going, these are the survivors of the desolation and the devastation. And as a result of the trauma that they've been through, they turn their hearts entirely over to God. And there's this beautiful relationship now between this community and their God. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. But first, the devastation. And Yehovah, your God, will circumcise your heart. This is spiritual language. This is conversion. This hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And the heart of your seed to love Yehovah, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And you know what, brethren? We have an opportunity in our preaching of the gospel to be a part of this. This is God's heart's desire. This is what he wants. And he's called us as first fruits to help him with this harvest. In Zechariah 14, and verse 16, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. So there's going to be survivors within the tribe of Judah and the tribes of Israel. But there's also going to be survivors among the Gentiles. This is God is going to arise to shake terribly the earth. The Jew first, but also the Gentile. And there's going to be great suffering everywhere, but there's going to be survivors coming out of all of this. And now, so we looked at the survivors in Judah, what's going to happen with them and Israel. And now we look at the survivors among the Gentiles. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, Jehovah of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the future. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem. Remember, there was such hostility from all these nations against Jerusalem that some of it is still going to carry over. Okay. If they will not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Jehovah of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So God first withholds the bread and the water 
from Jerusalem to drive her to repentance. And then he uses these Gentile nations to further drive her. So, so he, he destroys the economy, uh, uh, destroys the military might, and then drives the, 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 the remnant to their knees, to repentance. And then once that repentance is there, he then drives the Gentiles to repentance. And now the whole world should be in a state of repentance. But the hostility and the hatred toward the covenant people was so intense that there's still a hangover of the hatred. But God's going to deal with that. He says there'll be no rain upon them. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague. God is serious. Wherewith Jehovah will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So these physical Jews and the rest of Israel will be in the promised land, functioning, their whole heart will be turned to God, and they'll be functioning as a kingdom of priests on the earth. And then the Gentile nations are going to be expected to come to Mount Zion to learn the law of God from these physical priests. We will be reigning, the first fruits will be reigning with Christ, spiritual beings overseeing this whole operation. This is the word of God. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The whole world will be compliant. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto Jehovah. So you're, you're gonna, we're going to see human beings coming into Jerusalem, and even the horses are going to be decorated in a way that the whole city is pure holiness and points to the glory of God. And even on the horses, it'll say, the bells on the horses will say, holiness unto Jehovah. So it's so very different than uh, this is, 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 in Jerusalem, where the women in Jerusalem, they're the ones walking around with tinkling bells to draw attraction to themselves. Well, after this intense punishment, they're no longer full of themselves. Now they're full of the Lord. And they're pointing the Gentile nations the way it was originally intended to the Lord. And even the horses, when you come into Jerusalem, you see the horses and you hear the bells, it's going to say, holiness unto Jehovah. And the pots in Jehovah's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yes, Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto Jehovah of hosts. Every, everything, everything's just, it's a city full of holiness. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein. And in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts, of Jehovah of hosts. This won't happen anymore. So that means that uh, when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, uh, when it's being overrun, when the abomination that makes desolate, that in the end time, the Canaanite is going to be all over Jerusalem with all kinds of claims that this is their land. But God took it from Canaan and gave it to David, gave it to Jerusalem, gave it to uh, Judah and, and the, the people of Israel. But they're now making their claim. And today we will call these people the Palestinians. They're now making their claim that this is their land and they're all over it and setting up their holy shrines to idolatry. 
And God is saying, like, that will never happen again. You'll never see these people in Jerusalem with, with flexing their muscle and their idolatry. No, they have to repent and be converted and come as converts in the house of Jehovah of hosts. Back to Isaiah. So that was uh, Moses as well as Zechariah all seeing the same thing that Isaiah is seeing here. So Isaiah says now, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion, so we saw there's going to be survivors now in, in Zion. So Isaiah is now seeing the survivors. He that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem. This is going to be intense. This is the abomination that makes desolate. But a desolation is not a complete wiping out. There, there is, there's a remnant there. And those, that remnant that survives shall be called holy. Everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. So those that repent will be called holy. And they'll be among the living in Jerusalem. When Adonai shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. So all of this filth that we saw, this arrogance, it doesn't end the covenant. Their wickedness, notwithstanding, it doesn't end the covenant. The covenant is a forever covenant. The covenant cannot be ended. It can be activated. Different clauses can be activated. But it cannot be. It's a forever covenant. And so one way or another, God is going to fulfill everything that he has said. And specifically, it's going to be done through the lamb that is worthy and the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. He is going to bring to pass the fulfillment of all the terms and conditions in the covenant. And he's the only one that's worthy to do that. And so this wickedness that Isaiah has described for us in Zion, it's going to be dealt with, and it's going to be resolved. And he says here in verse 4 of chapter 4, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. That's what, that's what all this catastrophe was about. It was a purging process. And so that's why he says here in chapter 1, we had read in verse 18, come now and let us reason together. You're, you are Sodom, you are Gomorrah, you are wicked, but come now and let us reason together, says Jehovah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they're pretty intense. You are Sodom and Gomorrah. But that being the case, they shall be as white as snow. So there's some sort of a process that goes from scarlet red sin to snow white. This is what Isaiah sees, the process that makes this possible. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, as, as white as wool. This, this is what Isaiah sees. In verse 27, he, he says, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. And her converts, and we saw that the root of that word actually means her returnees, those that return, the faithful remnant that comes back, her returnees will be redeemed with righteousness. That's what's happening here. Verse 5, And Jehovah will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, 
for upon all the glory shall be a defense. This, this God is now going to come and defend. Think Zechariah 12. He's going to come and defend these people. And this should sound very familiar. It should remind us of Exodus 13, verse 21. And Jehovah went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. These are his people. And he's very jealous over them. And he's very protective of them. And we need to be very, very careful of any kind of replacement theology that just kicks all of this to the curb and says, yeah, you know, God was interested in them in the past, but now he's interested in me. No, no, no. He's recruited us to help him carry out this covenant. And the zeal of the Lord is our zeal. We, we are excited by what excites God. And to be a part of this process in, in making all of this happen, there can be no greater honor. He says in Exodus 19 and verse 6, And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. And he meant it. He meant it. Yes, we are first fruits of this process. And we sort of uh, jump to the front of the line, head up the whole process. But ultimately, this is going to happen for this covenant community. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And this is what Isaiah is seeing taking place. And this is what Zechariah saw. Back to Isaiah as we just finish here. Verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat. He's going to protect his people, the faithful remnant that repents, that hears the gospel message, that realizes that they have done wrong by God, and that deeply, deeply repents and turns to him, just as Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 30. And now there's, there's going to be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a cover covered from the storm and from rain. And that should put us in mind when we were in Psalm, Psalm 91, we'll end here. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so, brethren, we should be very, very excited by these prophecies and what Isaiah, this vision that Isaiah saw, and understand our part in all of this, that the zeal of the Lord is our zeal. And he's a